This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World, the data catalog for leveraging agile data governance to give power to people and data. We're coming to you live from London. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with a tasty beverage in hand and lots of big data London going on. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at data.world, and this is Juan. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist at data.world, and we are here. I'm finally traveling with you, and we're in a we're different- We're both traveling. Yes. Last week, I was in Paris. <laughs> I can't believe that. Now, I'm in London with you, and uh, this is this is so freaking exciting. There's a couple, so many reasons why to be excited. Number one, our guest. Our guest today is the VP of product of Fivetran, Fraser Harris. Fraser, how are you doing? I'm rocking, rocking to my own tune. Awesome. Well, here's here's so much stuff that we're excited about. One, Fraser's here. Fivetran is one of super awesome companies who've really revolutionized data integration. Uh, you guys, because you're such a center of the modern data stack, you recently launched your whole uh, metadata API, which we really want to go talk about this because I think that is a game changer right now. Uh, we are in London and big data London, and it is our hundredth episode, live episode that we've done. And I cannot believe that we've been doing this for over two and a half years. Uh, this is such a big Freaking amazing moment. So glad, Fraser, you can uh, accompany us uh, on this special day here today. And cheers. I'm just super excited to kick this off. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations, so, gentlemen. That's a lot of perseverance, like 100 episodes. <laughs> so so in that spirit, we're, we're like, okay, so tell and toast. So what are, what are we uh, drinking today? And what are we toasting for? You, you go first. Well, I'm drinking coffee because it's two o'clock on the Pacific <laughs> coast here. <laughs> yeah. And I have small kids, like very small kids. So I need all the coffee I can get. Nice. <laughs> and what are you toasting for today? Uh, good health. Like, uh, let's just keep this good health going. Yeah. Love it. Right. So Tim, what are we drinking here today? <laughs> well, I want to drink to traveling in person with you and being able to do some some fun networking and learning and presenting. We gave a talk today um, and just hanging out with all these great folks in London around big data. So I'm going to cheers to that and I'm going to cheers to 100 episodes. 100 episodes. And uh, we're both drinking, uh, we're sharing a Guinness right now. <laughs> so again, we're at, we're at their hotel in London uh, at the Hilton Olympia, and we're trying to get a drink downstairs. And they said, no, you'll have to order the table. It's just too much drama. So anyways, yeah. we, we so mine drink. looks like an Irish coffee. Yours but is a Guinness. I get half of it. Yeah. And I'm going to cheers not only to our 100th episode, but uh, I, on my way over here, I flew uh, over my 1 million mile mark wow. on United. I am officially now 1 million miler. It took me 16 years, even though I didn't travel for kind of two years during the pandemic. Uh, so I made a million miles in approximately 14 years, and that was on my way over here. So it's a million miles plus 100th episode, uh, a, a lot of ones and zeros going on. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> let's, let's cheers. That's to awesome. That. To, to miles, <laughs> to 100 episodes, to being in person and traveling, and also to to good health. So. To good health. Cheers, and to children. Sure. <laughs> well, cheers, sir. I don't know if a million miles is like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of an anti-measure <laughs> Like in some ways, right? It's like, that's a lot of time on a plane. At some point, it's a bad thing, right? I know some people, like, on, on my way over here, like, the, the captain uh, let me go into the cockpit, and, and he made an announcement, and everybody was congratulating me for a million miles. And I'm like, well, yeah, this is really cool, but is it really, like... Was this a good thing? I don't, I don't, I don't know. But anyways, let's let's stop it for another another day. Uh, all right, we got a warm up question today. Um, we learned from our producer Carly that keeping it at one hundred is slang for being truthful and honest. Honest, no BS here. So, what's another millennial or Gen Z slang that you've uh, learned, loved, or and what does it mean to you? Uh, mine's actually the peach emoji. I, I just love that. Like, it's like, yeah, that is a little cute bum right there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a great, <laughs> great one. Okay, you win. You know what? The funny thing is that we just told Frazier this question literally like three minutes, like two minutes before we went live. And I had no idea that he was going to come with an answer. And I don't, I don't have a, I don't, I can't follow up with that. That 
the, the peach emoji and the eggplant together, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. That, that, oh, the yeah. Closest, yeah. This is a work event. Let's not talk about the eggplant, but the peach emoji. <laughs> all right. All right. No, no eggplants. All right. Eggplants. All right. Let, let's take it. Um, keep, let me keep it simple. Frazier, honest, no BS. What does metadata mean to you? Yeah, it's uh, the data about the data, or really, in our case, the data about what's happening. Uh, and so it helps you understand uh, where data is coming from, where it's going, how it's changing, and who's responsible for those changes. Uh, I'm sure there's much more metadata you could talk about in terms of like when data at rest and who has access to it, et cetera. Um, but for in you know for the data movement piece that uh, we're responsible for, it's all about that um, uh, who's changing and why. So. I, I love how you just gave it a, a very small, but actually very important twist right there, because people traditionally say, yeah, metadata is data about data, but it's like, what's actually happening? And I think this is something that when we think about it, it's not just the static world of, I got data here in one place and tell me things about it, is that that data got here in some different ways. Like we need to understand how that got that movement around here. Mm -hmm. And I think, and to that, you said, who's responsible? It's something that we bring up a lot. It's not just about kind of, the, the the again the data itself but it's the people the processes behind that stuff and and kind of explaining the why so i think that's where the metadata is key here i mean i, I call this a lot the the glue that mm -hmm. that puts it all together yeah yep. the glue the context yeah and there's like the there's you know one major use case is around data discovery which you you folks are intimately familiar with and then the second major use case is about compliance and governance so uh, be that like legal compliances, like socks like, for public companies, or when you're getting financial controls, and then down to like data quality level of, um, you know, is this data correct? Can we trust it? Um, which you know also has it has an obvious interplay with data discovery. Uh, you know, there's three data sets; they all look kind of the same. Like which one? Which one is everyone using, and why should I use it? Right? Yeah, which one's the good one, right? Yeah. Um, and you all recently launched a uh, a metadata API. Right, and that was uh, some pretty big news in sort of the data world this week. Do you want to mention just quickly about kind of what that is? Yeah, sure. Um, after uh, coming from product, after an enormous amount of research, <laughs> uh, we've um, we realized just the, the value of powering an ecosystem of tools like Data World in terms of what we understand about the data, what we can comprehend. We know where it's coming from, where it's going. We can do column level lineage uh, and. I, and then we can tell you about the changes to the data. So this for the this really unlocks the first time to be able to do uh, data governance of data in flight. So before, like when PII is coming through the pipeline, before it arrives at the destination, you can say, "Hey, wait a minute! Like, what are the policies that should apply here? Should we should we allow this?" Um, and that that's a really like, groundbreaking for organizations, enterprises. I, I like I'll give you a concrete example. Of that Citibank was fined four hundred million dollars. And the, the 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 text from the regulator was a failure of data governance compliance, and so they thought they were doing data governance by cataloging cataloging their data, but that's only like step one. It's like, oh great, now you're aware of where it is, but how do you actually ensure that those policies that you're creating are being enforced on a, a on the ground level? And that's where it all breaks down. And traditionally, you had you build up these big programs involving data stewards. So you usually got, you have like legal and your security teams generating policy documents. And then these data stewards are supposed to go through and be each data set manually be like, you know, should I, how should we apply these policies? And the, it can be like pretty dang complex, right? It's like, which policy applies? It comes from like, where's the data coming from? What is in the data? Who has access to the data based on where it is at rest? And, um, and ultimately these programs often failed. So you would end up with like small pockets within an enterprise that are effectively doing data governance. And then other people are just like, I don't have time for this. Um, and so what we're, what we're hoping to ignite with the metadata API is this idea of automated data governance. How can we represent the data or the metadata as, um, as, as structured data that tools can consume and then you can take action on those. You can you can uh, look at that data and say these are the policies that should apply. And then uh, using the API in the reverse direction, you can inform us, like as the data movement layer, this is what needs to be applied to this data. So the key there is that Fivetran's not uh, we're not a data governance tool, but we're a key place of enforcement. And we ultimately see all the tools in the ecosystem adopting this. So we're really driving towards an open uh, standard that um, everyone can get behind. 
to create these customer outcomes that are like so freaking painful. Yeah, absolutely. And and data.world is very, very excited to be launching our Fivetran integration uh, as part of all of this with integration to that metadata API that you just mentioned, uh, focused a lot around this sort of use case around discovery and compliance to some degree too. And, and I think what's exciting about all of this, especially, is that I think that a lot of times people think of cataloging more from a, you know, traditionally more from a static and more of, more of a warehouse and data lake perspective. And I think what we find these days is that a lot of the most interesting sort of transformation logic and sort of actual like changes to the data, they're happening in the integration layer, they're happening at the modeling layer, they're happening in the transformation layer. And so places like Fivetran is where a lot of that really interesting metadata actually resides. Things like DBT have a lot of really interesting metadata. So I think there's a, definitely a shift here away from just, you know, in addition to just the static kind of places where data lives um, to also these places where there's a lot of data movement going on. Yeah, and, and I want to unpack a couple of things that you said there. Specifically, you said about action and then you brought about like enforcing these contracts. So mm -hmm. I want to get into these two things. One, actually, our episode last week with Ole Olson, right? He's the author of the Enterprise Data Catalog book, Upcoming in O'Reilly. We were talking about the whole the data knowledge, or let me get this right, data knowledge action and then results mm -hmm. i like how i ended in results and i think at the end of the day you, you i mean you have you're, you're tracking all this metadata because you're something you need to go do something with that that's the action but there needs to be a final result of what that is and that result can be oh we're complying to to to, to government to i mean regulations and stuff like that but i think we need to be very clear about what these results are and i feel that sometimes we we keep it really kind of like, oh, it's just the result is a notification. Oh, my result is, uh, yeah, you you get this thing in Jira or the Slack. It's like that's still a means to an end, right? So I think so. I'm I'm very curious to you, very curious to ask you is how are you seeing what is the next thing from that action? Like, what is the results that we're expecting to get have uh, with the metadata? In addition to things like Fivetran, right? They're moving the data. You're releasing this, releasing all this metadata so other catalogs like us can go do things with it. What are the results that the that the organization are expecting to go have with this? Well, the, at the very highest level, the result is that you, your CIO or your compliance officer can like sleep easy at night, right? Like they they can say with confidence, the CEO, like we have protections on our data and we are not exposed to this risk. Like a breach is not going to result in what was it that Home Depot had like a billion credit cards, like like three hundred million credit cards, or some insane number, right? And they ended up paying. Uh, like, uh, what's that compliance? PCI. PCI charges you a dollar per credit card that is exposed. So that was a $300 million fine uh, for that. Uh, and those are like, that's real money we're talking about. Uh, this isn't, you know, this isn't. And then you've got the, um, you've got the reputational damage uh, as well on top of that. So um, people are kept up at night. Data is absolutely an asset, but you also have to think about it as a liability until you have the controls in place that you really have control. Like you, you feel confident uh, that um, you're not taking unneeded risks. All right. So I, I like it. It's kind of very, very simple, but very powerful. And I bring this up. I bring. I ask this question always is like, what keeps you up at night? And these are the things that that can definitely keep up executives at night because there's a very big dollar sign associated to that. And so connected to the next part on on the contracts, this is a topic that we're seeing more and more on on, on data con data contracts. Where does this notion? So first of all, one, what is your definition of a data contract, and how do you see the data contract kind of? Where does it fit within the entire ecosystem, right? Because I can say, um, is it within an e a data integration tool like Fivetran? Uh, is there, it's a, is it, it's, I mean, the, 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 the contract itself is metadata should probably live in a catalog tool, but where, how, what, how does this all look like within your view of the data ecosystem? Yeah. Data contracts is like a new word for something that's pretty old in software engineering. You would call this an interface. So like you have two different parties, what's the interface between them? And that's, a, that's an agreement from the provider that this is what, you, as long as you work, like do your work program against this interface is guaranteed to work in a certain way. And so in the case of data, it's like, well, if you're running, you know, SQL or some kind of workload on top of this data set, I'm guaranteeing that it's gonna work this particular way. Um, it's, a, it's a very important concept. 
it gets at like the heart of what's difficult about data integration in any reasonably complex organization is that the person who's creating the data has no responsibilities uh, with respect to the person who's consuming or working off of the data. And what I mean by that is like the most important data is usually living in you know, some kind of system of record or production database. And your work, the work you're doing there in terms of um, changing like the changes you're making, you know, we all know that like our production database or your engineers have like this crazy, um, you know, testing environments and CI/CD, and like changes are rolled out extremely slowly, and we have you know SRE around that to make sure that any like failures are rolled back, etc. But then that all those change, all those things that are happening are not being communicated at all to the data team, who's like you know way off somewhere else, sometimes in a different building or like today at age, it's like a different Slack channel. <laughs> but uh, you know you're not communicating at all, and as a data team, you're just on the receiving side of these changes, and so mm. you. You have these like critical, and this is the hardest problem in data. There's yeah, like we can say like ah data contracts. It's like well it's not that simple because it's fundamentally it's a people problem and a, and a who's responsible problem. And so you know there's some ideas here of like well if you if you make uh, put some intermediary technology like Kafka in the middle and apply a like a schema through um, you know you register a schema on that data now that's your contract and it's like okay but you 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 have achieved an interface now. So, uh, but who's actually responsible for fixing that? So this, the engineering team deploying to the production database is now responsible for going and fixing things in Kafka. Um, another, what we've also seen a different pattern is, well, you land the data in what, like very commonly you call that a raw or a bronze schema. Uh, and then you transform that or expose it, expose it as via view or transform the data and then expose the transformed data set. And then that's that's the interface that your analysts are working off of. So you can mm -hmm. do you can separate this physically. I don't recommend it. Like these processes, you can separate it logically within a data warehouse or a data lake. Um, it's much simpler to do it that way. But again, it's really about like how do you get the people making changes responsible for downstream? And it's just really hard. Um, what we do internally because we have this problem, I or like everyone has this problem, right? Um, what we do is um, we run tests through dbt on data and then failures are it's a slack notification so if different data sets fail we actually notify like the person who's responsible upstream so there's like a person from engineering who's the like responsible party who's always slacked when there's errors between the two uh, and then the person downstream in the data team so that's our solution to it it's definitely a ripe area for like us focusing on as an industry that's interesting. So can you say that one more time? So Fivetran, you, you're addressing this by like slacking the person upstream and, and, and how else does that work? So it's, yeah, when the test fails, we, we have it, all the tests, uh, tests are associated with um, pe specific people. And so when the test fails, it pings a Slack channel with information about this failed and, and it tags the people who are upstream responsible and downstream responsible. And then they can start a conversation right there. Like, what did you change? Like, this is no longer working. What expectations should be here? Um, and the reason we went with that approach is it wasn't feasible to make, to integrate all of our downstream data work into the engineering CI/CD process. Hmm. Yeah, and I suspect that almost every company would make a similar decision. Like, if you're coupling those two things, you're it causes. I'm. It's still a valid approach, but it causes a lot of extra work yeah that makes sense and uh we, we have somebody in the comments here saying that if you mention data ops or data governance in my office you have to take a shot and that is not a fair game we're not going to play that game um <laughs> my, my, michael uh michael's one who made that comment uh, data ops and data governance so cheers yeah. <laughs> why, why are you doing that to me juan yeah <laughs> all right you solve similar problems the data world yeah we we end up having to solve a lot of similar problems and you know it and a lot of what you're talking about right now really strikes me a lot around lineage, right? Like the, the upstream downstream has a lot to do with the lineage of like, how is the data being transformed? How does it actually get derived and move through the data pipeline, whether it's into a bronze zone, then into some other sort of a transformed zone or a silver or gold zone or whatever it might be into yeah. ultimately either the, you know, the normalized model that you're trying to expose or to, you know, we're finding these days, a lot of folks actually are going back to then you know, wide table, more analytics ready types of tables to, to do a lot of analysis. And, 
and you and you and this kind of ties to a question that I kind of want to bring back to you, which is that you, you, interestingly, you you talked about responsibility around sort of like the the person who wrote the tests, uh, and then there's sort of people upstream and downstream, and I'm kind of curious about like how do you, uh, you know, whether it's your own experiences at Fivetran or if you think about, you know, some of your customers and things like that, like who, who should the contracts apply to? Like who's responsible to those contracts? And when you say like upstream or downstream, like it, who is that? Are these sort of like the owners of, you know, those tables, you know, in more of a governance sense or, you know, do you think of it differently? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of it in a world where upstream is some kind of production system or system of record mm -hmm. and downstream being some like data destination, be it a data warehouse or a data lake. Um, yeah. So, okay. And that so, it's just so, like the constant tension in an organization. Uh, like, yeah. But, but I think we also need to consider that sometimes, well, where do these contracts go? Right. So, so they can go, you can start to find them in different places between the mm -hmm. entire pipeline of things. Right. Now, if you are the actually owner creator of that system of record, then those contracts, it's in your power to be able to have them as close to where the data is actually generated. But at some points, depending how things are being separated and who's taking that responsibility, right. Taking that ownership. That's where that, that that's where that cultural aspect says, no, no, it means this thing here, but it means this other thing here. I mean, so th this is where that kind of the semantics and the meaning of, of that contract per se can be different. And, and, and so this is a, this is a mix of like, cultural aspects, who takes responsibility for that, and where is that going to be implemented and what technology and so forth. And I think this is something that I'm seeing a lot kind of people like, not, there's no clear answer to this. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. And the other thing that I'm observing too, and I'll get your insights on this, is when do I start doing this, right? I'm too, it's a smaller company. I don't need to do this. I'll do this later. And like, uh, uh, and you, you hear all this back and forth communication, uh, conversations about, no, do it, setting up these contracts like that. This is slowing me down right now. I just need to go move faster right now and so forth. But what, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, <laughs> lots of perspectives. Well, like, first of all, having the, the system of record owner or that business unit own the contract, I think is ultimate, like, like if you can get that great, but usually as a data organization, you don't have that influence. Like mm -hmm. it's just the reality that they're like, I have bigger problems than like I'm I'm like doing these schema updates to create this like you know these changes for this business process, and you just have to accept that I'm changing that process. That's often just the reality, right? Um, I'm I'm thinking of like a major insurance company we work with that everyone knows the name of, and they have like 50 different business units, and the business units are just like we're we accept that we have to expose our data to you, but whatever you do with it is up to you and we're just making changes and that's the you know the tension in the business so you know and i'm i'm not actually sure that's a bad thing right like they are effectualizing the business outcomes that we want right like they are the ones creating revenue or doing whatever and uh ultimately you know data is extremely important but uh you know we shouldn't think that we're, you know, more important than that overall outcome of the business right um, yeah that that seems a little risky this idea of like when you said that like the first thing that came into my mind was you can use this data but at your own risk good luck right um and that seems like maybe in certain cases that can work but in a lot of cases that um that can't work um and so i wonder i wonder how we deal with that right as an organization how do, how do we deal with the fact that like well no actually sometimes people do really need to rely on this data and it needs to be you know uh, it needs to be a utility that they can depend on. Yeah. So, so another, another thing is I, up to now, I think the, kind of the, the tone of our conversation has been more about uh, on the protective side, right? Let's make sure that all the data comes out in a way that it is, that it, that it, that it, that it, it, it it's, we're not going to get fine and these contracts are there. So everything is good. Let's talk about some of the, the kind of the offensive, like opportunities to go do with metadata. What, I, I, I got a lot to say here, but I'm curious to see what, how, what are your, what's your perspective. Before we move on, something really important is that, like the data contract, we're we're talking about like the underlying system evolving, and that means often the contract has to evolve regardless. And so, okay, that's like true. you have the contract has to represent what the actual underlying um, business process change is, right? 
And so how valuable, I guess this is the key question is, how valuable is it setting up a very static contract that you're going to end up updating anyways, versus um, just being more reactive to when the contracts change or when the assumptions about the business are changing, but just making sure you really understand when that happens. I guess something we think about a lot. It's, well, uh, so so be, before we switch to the topic kind of being a more kind of opportunities to do like more offensive stuff with metadata, you said something which is really important on the business processes. Um, and I think we, we touched about this last time we chatted is how do you see metadata here being kind of connected with business processes? Because uh, we need to keep track of that, too. And how is that being tracked and how is that uh, because a process changed and th then that happens before it actually gets reflected within the data ecosystem and then shows up in the metadata. Like what is your perspective on keeping track and, and cataloging and getting the metadata of the business processes themselves? Yeah, extremely hard problems <laughs> is the short answer. It's like, <laughs> like, and this is like, you know, you know this, like this is like, the fundamental challenge of data cataloging is how do you get people to actually describe the business processes? And, you know, you, you do your best to make the data representative of that data, that business process, like in a really reasonable way. Um, and ultimately that's the modeling of the data. Like that's the job of the, the you know, the either a data engineer or now the analytics engineer. Um, which requires a lot of like cross-functional collaboration and uh, building up of domain expertise so that you can effectively do that, right? Well, but I mean, if we look at like what you just mentioned, like the analytics engineer, I think my impression, and please correct me here if you're seeing this differently, is that they're disconnected from the how the business works, right? The, the business processes around things. Like they understand like they need, they, there's this question and they need to go understand what that question means and go deliver data for that. But like, they ideally should, which, and I believe that they're not, when this is the problem, is understanding the context around this and saying, okay, this, this business unit who's asking for this data to answer these questions, well, do they, is that really what they need? Because I understand, because what you, because this data is coming from this other process that's coming from this other system, then it's going somewhere else. And they lack this context around this. So I, I feel that that who really understands business processes and, and are they actually entering and being cataloged in, the, in, in, in data catalogs today? I would say no, they're not happening. And this is a very bad thing. Uh, and I think this is the opportunity to go improve. But th this is how I'm seeing it because, I, I mean, we've talked to our prospects and customers and I'm like, I tell them all the time, start by cataloging your business questions. What are the questions that keep you up at night, right? And who keeps and, and who are they? And, and, and they're like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. I thought a data catalog was just about understanding what was my data tables and columns and the lineage of the column. I was like, yeah, but let's get the business context around it. Like, oh, yeah, never thought of like, come on, then why, why are we just so focused on this technical stuff? So I feel there's this big disconnect, which is a big source of the problem of why we just kind of keep in our technical bubble. Anyways, I started to rant. I'll shut up. <laughs> Well, it it's getting at the heart of, um, you know, we've always used in in my onboarding of new five trainers, I have this uh, slide that's like, um, it's a quote from, I think, Gartner, 80% of BI projects fail. And you know, like, I've got this flaming forest, right? It's a great, it's a great visual. And it's like, wait a minute, people are spending billions and billions and billions of dollars on this, right? Like everyone's doing BI and 80% of projects fail. And it was like, what? How does that make sense? And it's, and it really comes down to traditional ETL where, well, really the data warehouse used to be like this, you know, very constrained resource. And so you would do as much transformation in flight. And so what that meant was data engineers trying to like with a crystal ball, trying to forecast what you want to do with the data. And then they're understanding the business processes and writing all the transformations. The data arrives and the analyst starts working with it and going like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Um, this isn't how other people describe these business processes to me. And it ended up being this really iterative, extremely slow process of getting to the point where you actually have data you can work with. And so that was the, like the key uh, driving force between ELT is we're just going to make a complete replica of that uh, underlying data. And then you can very quickly iterate on that as your understanding of the business and the business processes are evolving. You're just updating SQL very quickly and rerunning it. And so that was like the first step of getting us into a much better place in terms of that comprehension. But you can't be a data analyst or an analytics engineer 
and operate in a silo and not be collaborating with the business units. Like you, you've got to be social. You're not going to learn about how the business works by not getting out of the room or out of your own room. Okay. We're hundred percent in agreement with that. I like, is this happening in practice? Happens at five trans. <laughs> All right, that's, that's good. Great. I mean, I love this. Um, but I do worry that we, we, I mean, with honest, no BS. I'm, we're seeing people like, oh, I'll change my title to analyst, uh, analytics engineer, and stuff like that. And then, but, but, and you, because you're now very, you're doing a bunch of SQL and stuff. But wait, are you going out? Are you talking to the business? Do you understand this? Like, I, I'm, I'm definitely not seeing that as much as I wish I would be seeing it. I mean, well, and maybe part of it also is, you know, I feel like companies like Fivetran, companies like Data.World, we, I think, are newer companies. And so I think we've, uh, you know, I think when you're a newer company with newer people and things like that, it's sort of a different data culture. Maybe it's actually a little easier to say, like, hey, data engineers, analytics engineers, you need to get out of the room. You need to, like, be talking with the other parts of the business and things like that. When you're a company that's been around for 100 years and, you know, the average tenure of people in the data organization is 15 years, 20 years, maybe the dynamics change a little bit. And, and now you're asking for something a little harder, still very important, but a lot harder. Yeah, it's it's definitely well, I know I like to say that all problems are actually people problems, like when you boil it down. Right. And so like a lot of failure that happens in analytics is because it, the lack of collaboration. Uh, but, yeah. and we ha now have the tools that it's harder to blame the lack of tooling to effectually, like to have those outcomes that you want, but it's, it's hard. <laughs> I, I, this is a very good quote. I love this. All problems are people problems, right? It's a lack of collaboration right there. So, so I do want to get into kind of thinking about being more, um, Offensive, be more proactive with well, metadata. And just before you dive into that, just real quick comment, data.world, the data catalog for successful data migration. Uh, with data.world, you can ensure business continuity and visibility at every stage of the migration process. Thanks, data.world, for presenting our episode today. Yeah, 100 episodes. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. So I've been asking people lately is when it comes to we get all your metadata, we get your lineage. Obviously, what are the two kind of the, the two main uh, uh, use cases, right? It's impact analysis. Oh, if I change this column, what's going to affect that, right? Yeah, totally get it. We need that. Perfect. And the other one is, oh, where does this come from? Oh, this dashboard. I don't trust this number. This number looks weird. Or just, where does that come from? So those are the two kind of basic now traditional use cases. What else? is out there when it comes to gathering all that metadata, looking at the lineage and all that stuff. What do you think and what are you seeing as like, besides those two traditional use cases, what else should we, what are the opportunities? Yeah, well, the, what we're working on internally, and this is the product roadmap, uh, is really profiling the data and doing uh, PII detection so that you get a much more richer understanding of the data before you have to decide what policies should apply to it. Um, and this is all about being able to be proactive about enforcement of your policies before the data lands in a destination. So traditionally, they're like in a lot of tools are scanning the data at rest and then saying like, wait a minute, there's PII here. And that's like very reactive approach. It, all, it, it can also act, end up being expensive. Like if you're if you're saying like as a company, like it, it would be terrible if data is exposed for more than five minutes. That means on every single table, you're running all of these profiling queries every five minutes, right? And that those compute expenses can become non-trivial. And so this is like our vision is, well, let's do it in the pipeline, give you that control. And also on the fly. So, you know, what you could have a data set or uh, doing data movement. And then now like email addresses start appearing in a column that didn't exist before. And so that like flags, like, wait a minute, someone should revisit this because it's now out of compliance with the policy that you'd applied here. And it, but the, the profile of the data is extremely important. I, just to give you a concrete example, this could be email addresses, but if they're all like internal company email addresses, like yeah, that's not nearly as important as like, here's a bunch of customer email addresses. So that you really have to get down to the layer of like, what is this data and really thinking it through. And I think this brings up the whole notion of knowledge of what does this actually mean and what is a what is a, a dangerous email that can get exposed and stuff like that i think so it seems like 
being proactive with metadata is also thinking about when we're going back to our contracts. It's like, yeah, let's actually go off and catalog what we what what this stuff actually means, what it's supposed to mean, what what I mean, what are the expectations around these things, and and what are good or bad things that can happen, or how risky it is. And I think this is something that um, are, are you how how are you seeing this within your with, within kind of your customer base? Is, is this is everybody starting to go do this or just much more the mature forward thinking companies are thinking like this? How are they seeing being proactive with their metadata and, 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 and data contracts? Yeah, there's kind of like two dimensions to that. And one is like, we, we could call that your data maturity. But I think the other one really is like just your company size. Um, okay. If like, And I'll talk to that one at first. Like if you're a small company, uh, you know, you've got like a five person data team or something. You know, I wouldn't be worrying about this. I would be worrying about just empowering the business to make yourself a larger company. Uh, you know, that's just the reality of it, right? Like focus on the problems at hand. Um, but as you get larger, uh, you start running into like more of these compliances uh, apply to you. And, uh, you know, when you start, you know, you become a public company or on the march being a public company, then you really have to, like, you're starting to think hard about, you know, you've got you know, general counsel or some kind of chief legal officer and then their compliance needs, you've got the security, uh, your, your security group, your CISO and their needs. And so th like that doesn't happen until, you know, usually until you're, you know, above a thousand, above two, 3000 people. Hmm. Now, one of the other things that, that I, I personally been looking into like metadata should be able to go understand how complex things are. And, and, and so you, if you go catalog and you bring in all the metadata, so I'm like, okay, we, we now understand what people are doing within a tool like Fivetran or what any other ETL tool and stuff. And it's like, wow, this is really complex. And one, like it should, it doesn't seem, I don't think it should be this complex. And the second thing is, looks like there's a lot of repeated work being done because it's been done in silos. Um, how are you seeing this within kind of, I mean, within your, again, your, your customers and prospects base is, are they doing things that are, that are getting too way out of hand and getting too complex that this should be simpler, simpler, or it's, it's really, I mean, that's life is complex. The world is complex. We just got to live with this complexity and too bad. I, you know, there's, as with anything, there's multiple answers. I think one people love playing with new technology and often that's like a path of, uh, it was really fun for you. Did you create any business value going and doing that? And uh, and uh, that happens a surprising amount of time. Uh, I, I, all I can say is last yesterday I was um, I was chatting with one of our customers, like a fortune or like a, one of the top five banks in the U.S. And I I mentioned that uh, Kafka is like the most complex way you could build an ETL pipeline. And that got some roaring laughter out of their team because it's just very true. Like people are like, oh, we're just going to put it in Kafka and then we can use some KSQL and do some stuff. And it's like, so you're, you're imposing all these streaming restrictions on yourself, like making it much harder to deal with the data just because you don't want to run a query on data at rest. Like there's much easier ways to do this outcome, right? Uh, do you really need real time? And what does real time mean at your business? And it's like, oh, well, you know, faster than our once a day batch loads. And it's like, oh God, <laughs> like, that is not real time. You just need like 15 minute updates. <laughs> That's like, do you, like, as soon as you go below, like below kind of sub 30 seconds, you're imposing these technology costs on you that bring like about a 10 X cost in terms of like the technology you need for that. And then the team to man maintain that. And it's just like, there's a lot of like, we're bringing real time to our companies. Like be really like, if you're a leader listening to this, be very suspicious of that and really dig into is there a business value? <laughs> I love this. Yeah. Bad. No, bravo on this. And I want to mark this as a third and the 38 minute mark. We had something that we need leaders to listen to what you just said. Uh, the whole, this is, I'll be again, honest, no BS. I am, we, we had, we've had a lot of conversations about when it comes to streaming and with folks in streaming. And I'm like, I get it. But then what you just said, like, do you really need that, that, that real time? And, and then we all come up with use cases that you need. It's like, okay, but is this the truly business critical thing we need to go do? And then we kind of start over engineering around this stuff. And I'm like, I, I, yeah, we, we, we really need to be very critical about this. And, and I'm really glad that you're bringing this up. So because some, we just make life complicated when it doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. And yeah. to be clear, like you could do all of that with Fivetran. Like we have customers doing like sub one second running um, like a billion dollar um, T 
trading house running sub one second latencies that is actually powering their like their stock trading. We have people doing that, but oh my God, there's a cost and like a complexity challenge around that. So you really need it before you go down that path. And I, and I think in the conversations we've had on this topic, it's like some sort of a dial, right? It's like, well, is it more batch? Is it more real time? And at this moment, it kind of seems like there's like two categories, two industry or two types of companies doing that one. Eventually, the end user doesn't really care. Like, I just want to be able to go, I want this batch or I just want this real time. And eventually the technology, the companies will do that. I mean, well, and, and, and as an industry, we, I think we've flirted with like, how do we actually have these two things kind of coexist, right? Like there was the Lambda architecture and the Kafka and the, and the, you know, like there, there were, there were a lot of different permutations of like, Oh, can we have streaming and batch kind of happen at the same time? And I, I feel like, None of those really have taken, right? And and I think we're, you know, to come back to what you're saying, Frazier, it's like starting to come back to just use cases. It's like, well, what are you trying to optimize for? Uh, and what are you trying to do with the data? And you might do a little bit of one for a certain use case and a lot of the other for the other use case. Yeah. And like in Fivetran, you can dial between like, oh, just once a day, 24 hours and dial it all the way down to one minute um, for certain applications. And we're, we're just adding more and more streaming capabilities, especially so like as the destinations like Snowflake has now got uh, their Snowpipe streaming. There's more and more capabilities to do that and just automatically figure out without you having to tell us. It's like, OK, we can just be appending this data and you're getting real time for free because, you know, pens are practically free when you're ingesting. Yeah, but, you're, you're getting yeah, more event driven when you do that. Yeah. So one thing I, I want to kind of kind of bounce off you, this is actually an idea that I've been working on and I'm really interested in your perspective, kind of on the topic of being proactive with metadata. I my, my background has always been on graphs and semantics. And for me, metadata is just, I view it as a graph. It's all about how these things are connected. And I, what I find fascinating about lineage, I mean, lineage is it's just more of a graph, like, oh, this thing was derived from this thing and so forth. So one of the things I would love, I, 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 I want to be able to go see more, uh, and this is what we do too, is that if your metadata is really a graph problem, then we can start applying a much more graph, graph analytics, graph types of algorithms over that. So even things like no degree or, or, or community detection or a bottlenecks and stuff like that to be able to say, Hey, you, 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 we've cataloged all your, your, your data warehouse, your data lakes and your ETLs and all your, your DBTs, your transforms. And we see this as a graph and I'm like, wow, here are the bottlenecks, even no degree. There's a bunch of stuff that go into this node and a bunch of stuff that goes out to this node that's some job process. Who's the responsibility, who's responsible for that? Or, Hey, there's a bunch of communities around here like though this is seems to be a lot of work going on one side or hey there's a bunch of like orphan things like nobody's not connected to anything this is something i've been working and thinking a lot about i'm curious i'm just throwing you kind of ideas and things that i'm working on being innovated here what are your thoughts about what i just said is this interesting or am i smoking dope here and going nowhere well i think there's like the one part we're really focused on is like the reliability of the data pipeline. And, you know, some of those workloads are really commission critical and some aren't. And I, I don't think that distinction is often very obvious. Okay. And so, Good point. yeah, we, a lot of people use the term data domain and, but it tends to be like not very granular. It's like, this is all marketing data domain. So they, they have this SLA. Um, but uh, there's definitely something really interesting around that and how we can, you know, when we talk about impact analysis, it's like, okay, well, there is this problem. We kind of expect it to resolve itself. Is this actually going to violate any of those downstream, you know, freshness SLAs or latency ex expectations? Maybe that's too uh, practical. Maybe that's too practical an answer. You were getting at something like. Uh, well, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, again, th th this is just, uh, I'm taking the opportunity here. We're talking about metadata and stuff you can go do with metadata. And I'm thinking about what's next, right? I mean, Yes, everybody, it's it's table stakes now, the the two main traditional use cases, right? Impact analysis and stuff, right? Having a visualization, yeah, that, that that's table stakes now. It's like, so what else? What's coming next? And I like how you talked about like the data data profiling, PII detection stuff and metadata. I, I don't, and my, yeah, so, my, the scientist in me is like, so, what's so, next? So maybe put another way, like Frazier, you've got your crystal ball here. Like what, what's, what's what, what do you think needs to happen or you want to see happen around metadata? It's funny because so prior to five chan, I ran my own company for six years, like a startup, and I was always like, "Oh, we need to add this feature and this feature." And the the longer I've spent in tech, the more I've realized it's just like 
we just need to get one thing right. And then like, once we get that one thing really right, then we need to just do two things really right. Like it's like my, my ambitions have, uh, have gotten much more practical. <laughs> and so I've kind of stuck here being like, no, we really just need to get that data governance piece right so that people can sleep at night. Like we can do that. We've like made like people's lives materially better. Um, I'm glad you're thinking about like all of these ideas. <laughs> Sorry, I'm boring. Well, I mean, well, I mean at, at the end of the day, we're seeing a lot of uh, companies who legacy company, I mean, not legacy companies, companies who have a lot of legacy kind of data, monolithic infrastructures that they are not just migrating to the cloud, but they want to have complete cloud adoption. They want to go do things like move into Fivetran and Snowflake and using things like Data World, for example. Uh, but how do they go do that process, right? It's not a lift and shift and let's go take all the all the, all the, all the garbage we have in one place and move it as in it's another one is hey, this is where the lineage would come in to understand this big mess and how can we take it, take it as an opportunity to take that uh, very complex thing and, and make it, simplify it. And once we're going to go push it into something like mm -hmm. Fivetran and Snowflake and Data.World, for example. Well, maybe the way to connect the dots here is that kind of what you said, Frazier, we need to get this data governance thing right. And if, you know, metadata accessibility, if uh, leveraging graphs to actually represent that metadata in a richer way and analyze it and do automations around it, if that can make us finally get data governance right, then maybe that's what kind of ties this whole thing together. Yeah, something we're looking at um, is bringing descriptions of the columns from the source system and propagating them through as well. And partly you can just do this out of the box. Like Salesforce has very good descriptions of everything. Um, it's self-describing data. In some cases, uh, people are really good about using like comment fields and databases to create that self-describing um, schemas. Uh, but in a lot of cases, they're not. And if we could call like A, I always love anything under version control. So like this is phenomenal. Like let's do this. Uh, and anything that's self-describing is better than having like descriptions that are removed and out of date. And so as an industry, if we could make that really work, like going back to the, the, the conversation of data contracts, if we can at least have a description coming through and we can tell the person like this changed at this time, that's actually getting a long way to resolving these problems versus trying to enforce a static contract and then dealing you know, with those changes. Yeah. I mean, t today here at the Big Data London Conference, Tim and I gave our talk on the data product, our data product ABC framework, accountability, boundaries, contracts and expectations, downstream consumers, and explicit knowledge. And on the explicit knowledge, we say, what's what's documentation? Just give, just give me some example. And I mean, I very rarely see comments and like in the SQL EDL what this stuff means. Yeah. And that's a bad thing. And that's actually kind of a low hanging fruit on how we can start providing some some knowledge around this stuff. Let's just give a give a description around it. So uh, it, it, yeah, the, the bar is kind of low. Let's start working on this stuff. And, and again, as you said, it a lot of these problems are all problems, right? There are people problems. Yeah, no one likes describing like like documenting well documenting period except for tech writers uh, <laughs> so, is this, so is this so we need to have like the new analytics engineers being married with like some sort of getting trained like tech writers like they, this is an interesting thing of what we what is like the ideal i don't know i guess unicorn or whatever of a role who can really help make data governance uh be more effective yeah I, yeah. I think that's a topic for for another that's a good uh, question another yeah. podcast here. But all right, look, Fraser, we can keep talking. I mean, we've already been at this time for almost fifty minutes. Uh, I, I was very much looking looking forward to having more conversations with you, and looking forward to the next conference that we'll be able to go do this. Uh, but it's time. Let's go move to our, our lightning round. So uh, this episode uh, in the lightning round is brought to you by Data.World, the data catalog for for data, who support your data mesh. And I'm going to kick it off. First question. So one of the things that we talked about is kind of shift left. So imagine you have your data stack on the right is BI, dashboards, right? Reporting, analytics, ML, and all that stuff. Uh, as you move left, you have the data warehouse, your data lake, right? You have data modeling, you have data integration. Then you have like the source systems. Is the burden of good accessible metadata shifting left? Yes. Like, yeah, <laughs> like so, we're, yeah, yeah, so let you know, provide some context, some short, some quick context. 
Like if we're, yes. if, if we're generating the metadata and we're on the left, then yes, the burden's moving left. Like that's just an implication, right? <laughs> well, quick, well, quick, quick follow-up question to that is, um, you know, not just Fivetran, but also think about like all the sources that are to the left of you, right? All your sources, like, do, like, do, is there a burden that like, though, like you said, uh, Salesforce has pretty good descriptions, but in general, like, do they need to do a better job on the left side? Uh, such a hard answer. It's like I, in an ideal world, yes. In an ideal world, uh, you know, some APIs are great. Like Google ads and Facebook ads, they actually do a phenomenal job of describing their data. Um, it's, it's just, it's a cost and it's like, it's, you know, it, it is a cost and it's an amount of effort. And so who is committing to that effort? It's, it's hard to impose it on the business units, as I said. Hmm. Well, it has to be some incentives around that. So the question is like, why does Google ads and stuff have really great metadata on that stuff? I mean, there's some incentives. Well, they're different incentives. People want them to go use and understand it, right? So we were making money on this. They've got about, what, 30 billion in quarterly incentives right there. <laughs> money talks. Money talks. At the end of the day, this is all about how much money we make, how much money we're saving. Yep. All Tim, right. you go next. Second question. So... Do you think that there will be a metadata standard that emerges in the next five years, like a popular standard? Yeah, and we want to be a part of that. We're like we in building our metadata API, we kind of looked at the, the landscape. Um, we like Apache Atlas was one that is pretty commonly adopted in like the Hadoop world. Uh, but it, you know, we really dug at that and it was pretty over-engineered for what we're talking about. Uh, and so we're also talking, um, I think we're going to be joining open metadata and really trying to push that forward. And I'm really, I, I am hoping that as an industry, we can standardize not only around metadata, the next level problem is how do you describe policies programmatically so that they can be enforced. Mm -hmm. uh, and that there's like nothing today, like what, what we're seeing today is like Google Docs or, you know, Word Docs. And it's just like descriptions of like, this is what this type of policy is and this is how you apply it. And what I find interesting there, too, is that you have these policies, but then you have things like um, I like the folks at great expectations and that there's some sort of the, the quality is get start combining. Like there's this there's this kind of thin line that kind of goes every at the end of the day. It's all just um, it's just I mean, everything's metadata here and, and it's all connected. Um, all right. Mm. Next question. Uh, so you all mentioned that one of the missions of Fivetran is to make data as reliable as electricity. Yeah. Are the data fabric or the data mesh trends helping accelerate that mish, mission or is it tangential or, or is it a distraction? Oh boy. Uh. <laughs> lightning round, lightning round. <laughs> lightning round, right? Yeah, it's like if our PR person is here, they're like, <laughs> data fabric is important. <laughs> um, you know, I think ultimately, people are just trying to get their jobs done and these are like useful concepts to keep in mind in terms of just framing of what you're trying to do but i i don't overly index on them like <laughs> there's jobs to be done you got to move data you have to transform data you have to analyze data those are the really important jobs to be done mm. That that's an that's an honest no BS answer right there because I, I if I always say this if you just zoom out and you look at the principles around things yeah you got to move data from different places you got to do storage and compute on that data you got to do some analytics you got to use the data you got to just use the data like those are those principles that have been around for the last I don't know three decades and we're still doing that stuff so all these trends and all these fancy words around that continues around all these principles so yeah I'm, I'm we're definitely that. getting better and we're we're applying yeah. technology in much yeah. better ways so there a hundred percent like the way we're dealing with data today is way freaking better how we're doing it 10 years ago 20 years ago and 30 years 100 percent, right but i think the principles behind that continue yeah. to be the same and, 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 and that's important because we're not just I mean, we're not reinventing the wheels here or anything even though a lot of people are reinventing the wheel. Anyways, I digress. Please go. Last final <laughs> question. Tim. Opportunity for another episode on that comment there. Um, so uh, fourth and final lightning round question. Um, is cloud data adoption the biggest driver of modern data integration tools like Fivetran really becoming popularized? Or, or are you finding that it's uh, another use case or, or sort of related use case? I mean, there's two big drivers. And one is just the explode. Like uh, when we, when, I was I joined number six at Fivetran. This was uh, six years ago, six and a half years mm -hmm. ago now. And um, 
our customer base was tech startups in the Bay Area. Like that was it. And then, you know, we expanded to tech startups in New York. And then, you know, over time that was like tech startups everywhere. And then we started adding in industry verticals. And now like every industry under the sun is a customer of Fivetran. And um, so what I'm trying to get at is two things. For all of those like other industries, uh, it's about a, a digital transformation. They're moving to the cloud, they're revisiting their technology stack and they're looking at tools like um, like Snowflake or Databricks and what kind of transformable, transformational things they can do with data that they never could before. Uh, and it's really exciting stuff. For all those tech startups, it's just like Greenfield. We're, you know, we're building a net new um, data stack. How fast can we get to insights that are actually providing value to the business? That's interesting. That distinction is very interesting. And uh, it's exciting to hear about, you know, the success you all have been having. All, all right. <laughs> TTT Tim, take us away with takeaways. We've yeah, had a lot uh, here. This has been great. I mean, there's been a ton of great takeaways from this conversation today. And so uh, I'll summarize and then I'll kind of pass it off to, to Juan. So first of all, um, you really talked about, you know, what is metadata? Well, it's data about the data. But more than that, in Fivetran's case, it's, uh, it's the data about what's happening and who's responsible for what's happening. Um, and you mentioned that there are sort of two core use cases that in general, y'all have been thinking uh, about around metadata and especially with the, the metadata API that you launched and the data.world um, has integrated with and launched our integration around the sort of two main use cases. One is around discovery uh, and the other one is around compliance. And uh, an example you gave that I thought was very astute and we see a little too much of in the news these days is uh, things like Citibank getting fined a huge amount and you know cataloging wasn't enough and they weren't uh, applying all the policies that they needed to at that, at that ground level. So um, we started to talk a little bit about sort of governance and the role of governance, automated data governance. How can metadata be shown as structured information that catalogs and other tools can consume? And then in the reverse direction, be able to inform about, you know, back to those other systems, so you can actually operate or operationalize that data. I think the term these days that a lot of people are talking about, we, we didn't explicitly mention it in our podcast today, is sort of like activating your metadata or, you know, active metadata. There's definitely a lot of interesting things that are possible around there they can help to automate data governance um we asked you know what's the result we're driving for here and you're like hey if the cio or the head of compliance can stay uh you know they can sleep well at night then you know and that could be a really good outcome um you know no triple digit million fines uh that's probably pretty good um you know being able to have controls around all of this and then uh and then data contracts came up as a really important mechanism uh that we could be leveraging to really try to make uh you know metadata useful but also to really create these uh expectations and dependencies and manage them better within our enterprises around data um and i think you gave a good description of a contract you said that it's an interface there are two parties and what is the interface between them um, and there's an expectation that the provider is going to meet the expectations of that interface. Um, and you walk through a lot of different ways that you can do that around testing and reliability, around uh, people responsibility, um, around, uh, uh, you know, if a test fails, can you notify the right people? And that's something y'all are doing on the Fivetran side. Um, and you talked a little bit about static contracts versus dynamic contracts. And I think that's a really important topic because I think that, um, you know, uh, Fraser, you and I are both product guys. Uh, and so we know that, um, you know, you got to manage expectations. And, you know, a lot of times you, you make these commitments around roadmap and things like that. But occasionally the business situation changes or the landscape changes and it can't only be static. We have to be dynamic. We have to be agile. And that's just the, the way that we can be successful and be dynamic as organizations. So that's some of my big takeaways. Juan, what about you? I got I got several here. So first of all, we talked the fundamental challenge of data cataloging is how do you get people to describe the business process, right? We kind of already do the easy things, which is let's get the metadata in. But the really hard thing, which is kind of the, the opportunity that I feel that we were missing out a lot is people describing their business process. You hope that the data represents that as, as best as possible, usually via the data modeling and lots of cross-functional collaboration and business expertise, but we really need to get the business under cataloging those business processes, business questions. I We, we talk about the 80-20 rule, like, yeah, 80% of BI projects fail. And how is that even possible, right? The, the, the past model has always been the data architects are trying to have like this crystal ball where they're trying to figure out what, what is the model that would be most useful. And then with the ELT model, it has allows the data to be replicated and you can do the modeling next. And this is definitely kind of the, a good first step, a big change and very valuable. But the second thing that we need to go focused on is to 
get out of the room and go meet with the business, go meet and understand with the people. I think this is the big shift. This is why it goes back to one of the things that you brought up is all problems are people problems, a lack of collaboration. Uh, we had a discussion about being proactive on metadata, like what's in addition to kind of just being the protection side. Uh, you guys are really focusing on data profiling and PII detection, right? And I think the the the, the spectrum, kind of the, the different angles to look at is what's your company size and what's your data maturity, right? If you're a smaller company, yeah, make sure you're growing your company. But at some point, you're going to start, once you get bigger, you need to really start getting into that next space of how we're going to mature around things. We, we not surprisingly, we brought up a little bit about streaming. I love what you said is as soon as things go sub 30 seconds, you're imposing a 10 X cost and a 10 X complexity. Do you really need that? Ask yourself that. And one of the things that you're really focused on is on the reliability of the data. So some pipelines are very mission critical. Some are less. So, so how do I identify? We know that what are those mission critical pipelines and we're keeping track of them. And, uh, What's next for metadata? We really need to get this data governance thing right. All right, that, how did we do? Anything we missed? You nailed it, gentlemen. I'm I'm impressed that you had that many notes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm on my phone, so that's what we're doing. So we've done this a hundred times. <laughs> we have too much practice now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> While we're drinking, and I'm jet lagging. It's the 10, 11 p.m. now over here. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, Frazier, back to you. Three questions. One, what's your advice about data, about life, whatever? Second, who should we invite next? And third, what are the resources that you follow that you should suggest other people to follow to? I will start with the first, um, like keep it simple. Like almost everything is better when you just simplify it down. Uh, yeah. Keep it simple. I, I'll go to my, I read a lot of Hacker News, uh, follow some folks on Twitter, uh, you know, just and vary it. Like it, it's, it never, um, the, the data intelligentsia is like, you know, very loud and talkative. And uh, yeah, it's interesting to, you know, keep an eye on, but I, I like just focus on the outcomes that you're driving. So you're, you're creating value because ultimately that's why we're all here. It's creating value for the, the folks that are dependent on us, right? And, um, and then finally, who you should have next. Um, I recently had a great conversation with Sahir. Uh, I can't remember his last name, the CPO of MongoDB. Uh, I don't know if that's how relevant that is to you, but had a phenomenal no. conversation with him. Uh, but that was more on like, uh, anyways, uh, who else in data? George, actually our CEO. Uh, if you wanna ever talk about databases of all forms and types, George is one of the most knowledgeable people, uh, and he, he, I always enjoy talking with George. So I recommend having George here. Interesting. We All should right. have George on at yeah. some point. Yeah, I think the last time we had a deep talk on databases, it was with uh, the CEO and founder of Neo4j. Yeah, with at ML friend. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a good one because we had, we did a whole kind of gamut on not just graph databases, but what's just the database uh, kind of market. Yeah, we might be into. due for another another round of that. Yeah, that would be a good mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Actually, okay. a little secret that in those early days of Fivetran, uh, we didn't believe that data integration was a very big market. And so every year we're like, okay, we're going to do data integration for another year. And then we're going to have to figure out what the next thing is. And uh, and George was always like running in his spare time a Presto cluster and like just, you know, messing around with Presto. And he was like, we should really launch your own data warehouse. And I was always like, George, stop it. Like, stop it. We need to focus <laughs> on this data integration thing for just one more year. And then each year it was like, hmm, the market's like 10 times bigger than we thought. It's like, hmm, it's 10 times bigger than we thought. And it just kept getting bigger. And now it's like, oh my God, this is a really big, big, hairy problem. And we're just going to be doing this forever. So. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad you stuck with it. No, no, I always say the, the joke I always say repeating talks is like we can take a rocket to space, we can bring it back to Earth, it can land on a platform in the middle of the ocean, but it, we still can't say if these two spreadsheets match. And right, integrating this data is so hard. So wait, is data integration harder than rocket science? I'm like, actually, rocket science is it's 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 a natural science, right? I can I mean I have to go deal with people and then data integration, as you said, there's a lot of people stuff and hey, people, humans. We're complex. <laughs> so, well, this is just a little secret for you, but these things overlap. Uh, we replicate data from the space station. Nope. It all well, comes full circle. So, I got it. Okay. So, <laughs> tomorrow we're giving a talk. Well, we're not giving a talk. One of our colleagues, yeah. Emily Pick, is giving a talk together with, with, with OneWeb, one of our customers. 
And the title of the talk is Data from Space to Users in Minutes. So that's a great that talk. Too. Anything space <laughs> and data together is, is great. All right. We love this. All right. So we got to wrap up. Uh, next week, we have Rupal Sumaria, who is head of data governance at Penguin Random House. So I think it's a good after following this conversation, we'll get into some data governance conversations next week. And we will both be live together from Austin. So yeah, exactly. Back, back, back home. And, and tomorrow, September 22nd, oh. is the Data.World Summit. So um, I don't know exactly when this is this episode is going to drop, but for those that are watching online right now, definitely register for that. And and if you end up missing it, uh, the live summit, definitely check out the recording of it at data.world. And we're finishing live, but we will be again live tomorrow, and then we'll get hit the podcast. Uh, just giving our uh, our takeaways. takeaways of the of all the things that we looked at at Big Data London. Yeah. So same time tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't know what day it is. Thursday, four p.m. Central mm -hmm. or something like that. Anyways. So much stuff, 100 episodes. Frazier, thank you so, so much. Thanks to Data.World who's led us to this for 100 episodes. Mm -hmm. And we're so happy to be working with you, Fivetran, and all the metadata goodness that we're all doing together. So cheers to metadata and cheers to 100 episodes and cheers to Fivetran and Data.World. Cheers, Frazier. Cheers. Yeah. Well, Juan, good luck with your first child in a month. And uh, I hope you take a long paternity leave and don't do the podcast. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm taking a two. There's a two week break. Okay, there. you've timed I it. I timed it. I timed it. <laughs> we'll see. This two will be in my little break. I'll be able to escape an hour. We'll, we'll see. That's pretty short. That's pretty short. <laughs> no, I'm taking, I'm taking. I'm taking over a month for sure. Okay. But okay. I'm taking one hour out of the third and fourth week just to go do this. So. All right. Well, good luck. All right. Thanks. This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.